Hey everybody, Nick once again, host of the Beer Got Me Here podcast. So we're shifting gears a little bit. My pals over at Rolling Hops Beer Tours gathered up a handful of various historians to chat with us about the history of beer. For this episode, we chat with Jeffrey Pilcher, a professor at the University of Toronto and author of several historical culinary books. Culinary books, eh? Well, do you like food? Food's pretty good, but so is beer. That being said, Beer Got Me Here podcast presents episode three of the Rolling Hops Beard Tour series, Historian Edition. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Beer Got Me Here podcast, collaboration with your friends from Rolling Hops. So we're very excited today. We have a very academic guest for us this evening, Jeffrey Pilcher, who is a history professor at the University of Toronto. He is a leading figure in the scholarly field of food history. From an early research focus on Mexico and Latin America, he has expanded his scope to food in world history. His latest book, Planet Taco, A Global History of Mexican Food, seeks to historicize authenticity and show how Mexico's national cuisine developed through global interactions, particularly with Mexican-American cooks. His current book project examines the world history of beer over the past 200 years, following the spread of European lager through networks of trade, migration, and empire. The research moves between the global and local to explore how European brews became situated within the drinking cultures of Mexican pulque, Japanese sake, and South African sorghum beer, among others. So without further ado, we want to give a big welcome to Professor Pilcher. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So I think before we get started, um, Jeffrey, if you want to just give us a little bit of information on your academic background, perhaps why you're so fascinated in his, in food history itself, as well as we'll get into beer, but maybe just a little bit about who you are and your and your academic research. Well, I, um, I'm a historian of Mexico originally, and uh, I just happened to arrive at that perfect moment when the history of, of food started to get taken seriously as a topic, that um, uh, there was this new wave of cultural history that was looking at everyday life and the ways that, um, you know, the sort of the, 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 the everyday aspects of culture around us um, shape our identities the way we are. And uh, food is an ideal vehicle for exploring this because, of course, you know, we eat every day. It's a center of sociability. It's, you know, the kind of foundational to so many aspects of our life. But it was always sort of poo-pooed by historians, right? You know, that's something that women do. That's not, you know, it's because it was so all present. It was ignored for, for a very long time. And, uh, and so I just, you know, I was, it was, there was a moment in the 1990s when people started saying, wait a minute, you know, this really is important. And so I just had the, the good fortune to be around at that, at that time. Um, 
and uh, you know, I wrote three books on the history of Mexican food, but uh, I, I actually, I started out teaching a class on the history of drink. Um, and it wasn't really a research topic at all at the time, but it was uh, something, and I, and I really, I came to see the importance of the topic really from my undergraduate teaching, uh, talking with students and, um, and, and really using the class as a way to try to get undergraduates to think more, you know, um, reflectively about their own drinking habits. Um, and because, you know, I mean, uh, uh, alcohol can be a, a very good thing and it can also be a bad thing, right? And, and that tension between the two is something that I found deeply interesting. And, and it's something that, you know, societies have dealt with uh, for 10,000 years, if not more. Um, and, you know, we can, you know, sort of see this in, in uh, the, the, for example, the prohibitionist impulse uh, in so many countries. Uh, and and the, the struggles that have arisen around it. And so I wanted to, to write something about alcohol and I wasn't actually even sure what kind of alcohol I wanted to do. I realized uh, that I, I couldn't do uh, tequila because the research would kill me. Um, it just, uh, I, I, I'm, <laughs> it might've been an earlier time when I could have done that work, but not today. And, you know, I mean, having written a book about uh, the history of tacos, you just can't do wine, right? I mean, it, it just, you know, uh, tacos to it just doesn't work and so it had to be beer and um and you know i mean i i, I did a little bit of drinking as a, as a college student uh <laughs> many people do uh but really it was actually kind of getting back into uh in, into getting into this history uh project uh that i really started to discover uh the wonders of beer and um you know because actually you know in my undergraduate days the the the, um, the, um, the, the craft beer movement had only gotten started. And so I'm talking about the 1980s. And I was in the United States at the time in the Midwest. And I got to tell you that, the, that, that what at the time was to be considered the most exciting, sophisticated. I was like when I became like a, a senior in college and I could go into the bar where they served Molson, I thought I have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, here I am, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. Well, maybe so like your Jeffrey, your, your, your fascination with beer sort of has evolved from food. Is that fair to say it's, it's, yeah, it, it has. And, and it's also, um, a, you know, but, but the, the two topics are actually very different in, in, in many ways. And so it was, it's, it's been, it, it has been an evolution, you know, sort of, uh, seeing the ways in which, um, you know, looking at beer can tell us is, you know, many things. And, and one of the big things I got to say is, is gender, you know, sort of looking at the ways that, um, you know, kind of the ideas about men and women's drinking, um, you know, and it's not that, 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 that food is not gendered as well, but, but it's very specifically, you know, when you think about, and particularly when you think about the, the drinking cultures of, uh, of university students, I mean, the gendering of this is, is very clear and, and, um, and and so actually very recently, you know, I've started seeing these these newspaper reports, um, you know, here in Canada and the United States and elsewhere, you know, kind of calling out the craft beer movement on, you know, it's sort of issues of gender. And, yeah. and of course, that's that's not a new thing. You know, people have been talking about this uh, um, uh, for quite a while. And, and the, um, the Wellington Brewery that's, you know, done a lot of work with the um, I'm trying to think of the Queens of Craft. 
movement. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's there there definitely is uh, you know kind of an attempt to to get more uh, attention to uh, um, you know women in the, in the brewing world, and 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 that's uh, certainly uh, I think a welcome uh, change. Um, but uh, so so anyway, that's that's kind of you know sort of how I've gone come from food into into the history of beer. That's very interesting, Jeffrey. Like particularly, gender is huge. I mean, particularly when when Garrett and I, we host a lot of virtual beer tastings and we, we talk about like craft beer and particularly like in the last 20 or 30 years has really just ex exploded. Well, our perceptive is, is it's exploded the gender norms of beer because it's sort of like, if you go back even to the eighties, the seventies, certainly the sixties, I mean, it's just like beer was a, was a male dominated drink. Like, um, and it's still, it still is, let's not lie, but like just the the openness of a craft brewery, allowing to, one to bring one's family, one's significant other, typically one's canine companion as well. It's just a lot more of an open atmosphere, which probably associates with more gender equality in its consumption. Which well, and you know that really brings us back to where uh, things were more than a hundred years ago, mm -hmm. because those original beer gardens. Um, you know, and, and sort of that German beer culture uh, is, is really about enjoying beer, you know, kind of in the family, right? And it's these uh, saloons um, where, you know, you've got a more, you know, kind of masculine um, uh, culture of, of drinking. Um, you know, and I mean, nothing wrong with the guys getting together and, and kicking back at a beer, but, um, you know, there's certainly, you know, this this openness to considering beer as, you know, kind of uh, not just in, in, you know, kind of misogynistic terms, but, but also as, you know, sort of an open, inclusive area. And I think that, that certainly, you know, if craft beer is going to prosper, uh, you know, I mean, they have to, to, to create a bigger tent. And I think there's been a lot of debates, you know, within the craft beer movement about what, you know, they need to sort of build. And I mean, you know, when you look back over the last 30 years, I mean, it's remarkable how, how, how far that movement has come. Um, and yet, uh, you know, there's just, there's a long way to go, you know, in, in opening it up, you know, and, and I mean, here in Canada, you know, as we talk about, you know, the truth and reconciliation and, and, uh, the, the, just, you know, the recent discoveries of, of the, the, the horrors of, of the indigenous, uh, yeah. um, you know, schools, I mean, you know, the, the, these kinds of things bring, bring home to us every day, right? That, you know, we need to build a more open and uh, inclusive society. And, and, you know, what better place to do that, you know, is in those kind of moments of sociability, you know, um, and, and, you know, around, uh, you know, a, a pitcher of beer. So anyway, that's, that's just a kind of a, 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 a certainly, you know, a way in which I think the craft beer movement can contribute to kind of a, a bigger quest for social justice that's, you know, happening in, in you know, in, in Canada, but also around the world, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement and all these other kinds of things. Well, can you, Jeffrey, can you tell us a little bit about your book that you are writing? I think you're set, I think you mentioned to me that you hope to get it out next year. Is that correct? Or potentially oh, yes. well when will it come out that we're it not we're not the publisser long. so it no I've been, no I've worries been working on this thing for almost 10 years now and oh, that's wow. just that's that's a long time you can't can't rush 
art. That's right. But quality uh, over quantity. That's right. Can you can you give us a little bit of of just um, like I don't know how secretive this is if you're allowed to divulge too much information, but could you give us a little yes, bit of information I, 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 on? I was, I was just waiting for the the helicopter was going. Yeah, by. that's right. So, yeah, so, let me. All right. So let, let me let me just uh, so tell you. Yeah. All right. So. You said in the introduction that that it, it's 200 years, and in fact, I mean, you know, the bulk of the book is about the last 200 years, and okay. and the ways in which you know, kind of industrialization has really transformed um, uh, beer drinking. Uh, but really, I start in the beginning, and we now know that dates back at least 13,000 years to the you know the, the the Mesolithic era, right? So before the invention of agriculture, people were all hunter gatherers in the Near East. Uh, we're already uh, fermenting wild grains and, and transforming them into beer. And that's, I mean, you know, these kind of archaeological discoveries are just unbelievable. And so, you know, I, I, I try to, you know, put, you know, this recent industrialization, and I say recent 200 years, into this much longer history of, of beer drinking and, and to show the ways in which these, these changes that have happened over you know, 200 years since the industrialization of beer or over um, 500 years since the early commercialization uh, around um, the, the, the development of hopped beers, uh, which really takes off in the late Middle Ages in, in uh, Northern Europe, uh, but leads to fundamental changes. And one of those changes is actually um, that as beer becomes a commercial good, as it becomes associated with capitalism and large-scale production and, and long-distance trade, which of course hops as a preservative uh, allows to come about, uh, that it becomes a, 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 a masculinized uh, trade. In other words, once there's profits to be made, uh, the women home brewers, you know, who had been making beer for, for literally thousands of years were pushed out uh, and male guilds took over um, to, to, you know, to take advantage of this. And so, um, you know, that gender history goes back a very long time. Uh, another basic theme of the book I want to look at is, you know, how taste, how the taste of beer has changed over time. Um, and, um, you know, so so one of the things that, you know, in the, in the craft beer movement, right, there's this kind of poo-pooing of, um, of, of pale lagers, you know, as this tasteless thing and, and, and a desire to go back to the more authentic regional styles like, you know, the London Quarter or, you know, the uh, uh, Vienna lagers or the Munich lagers or, you know, that kind of holy grail of beer, uh, the sour, Belgian sours, right? And so, um, yeah, but one of the things that I argue in this book uh, is that, you know, these supposedly, you know, ancient uh, beer styles uh, were in fact, um, you know, the invention of uh, capitalist modernity as well, right? Um, uh, that, that, you know, these, these, these aren't, you know, sort of going, reaching back into time immemorial. These are not, you know, sort of the, the kind of folk culture that we might think. And, and so we need to really understand the ways that, that brewing uh, has been tied up into the development of capitalism. Um, and, you know, and, and that sort of quest for authenticity, that desire to go back to some sort of primordial golden age, 
is, you know, in some ways a vain quest, um, you know, and, and the, 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 the pale loggers that we, you know, turn up our nose at today. Uh, in the 19th century, and especially for workers, you know, who are kind of moving to the city uh, from, you know, farms, uh, trying to raise their incomes, you know, with factory work, um, for them, uh, an industrial lager that had a, a clear, pure taste was the pinnacle of, you know, their their uh, their social uh, um, uh, uh, improving their social status, right? Because you know the 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 tastes that we desire now, you know, like that kind of barnyard funk of of rhabdomyces or the you know that these strongly hopped beers, these other kinds of of, of, of powerful tastes. You know, they're only imaginable as a desirable thing in a post-industrial era when we, we know our, our food is not contaminated, right? But, you know, those kinds of, 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 of funky tastes in an era when, you know, when food poisoning might kill you, you know, you want something that's pure and industrial. That's where, you know, that, that um, uh, um, like, a, like the, that, that pale pilsner uh, was sort of a guarantee of quality. Um, that that was not around um, before then, and so you know, I just it, it when when we start looking at these histories from a more critical perspective, I think we can see that um, you know a lot of the the history that we 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 kind of think we know uh, is 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 just more complicated, right? And um, and so you know, I think it 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 it's worthwhile for us. Uh, to think about, you know, kind of what the origins of these these beer styles are, and that's what really what I'm trying to do in the book um, is to uh, to kind of uh, to to kind of question some of the um, the ideas that we have, the 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 the, the, the mythology uh, that I think has 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 come up around um, uh, some of these 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 um, moments in beer history. I guess so. That that's that's sort of what the the, the plan of the book is, hopefully. Um, and uh, you know, I'm kind of excited about it. It's coming along nicely. I'm enjoying the research. So, uh, so yeah, there we are. I like what you mentioned there. Sort of, you know, going back to the almost like the roots of beer and finding about about those old styles and and how why people liked them and, and then the sort of the transition from like you were saying, the pale loggers were you know, when they were the new kid on the block and why people really enjoyed them. And now that craft beer is sort of moving away from, you know, the, the typical European lager style and back to what we think are, are traditional styles. Um, you know, we, we talk about a lot of, like on, on a lot of our events, some, we, we sort of wrap up with a question to the group, usually about where would they think craft beer is going? And a lot of that tends to play into the past. Uh, and we get a lot of great theories and a lot of great feedback. And this is at that point in the event is usually when our discussion ramps up quite a bit. And people think that, yeah, craft beer will be around for, for you know, a long time, or maybe it won't. And, and a lot of that, it comes back to like, okay, what's happened in the past? Do we think it's happening again? Uh, and do we think it's sustainable? So, you know, going from 
classic styles, like you're saying, like the Porter or the Bitter or the Lambic styles from like early Belgium, like those were sort of products of what those brewers had at the time, right? Um, and then, you know, obviously they had to brew the beer to stay in business and things have evolved. And then there was this big movement of loggers and now there's a movement back to sort of those traditional styles. So uh, the fact that you're, you're writing all about that makes me even more excited to check out your book when it does come out. So uh, I think that's really cool. Well, I'm glad you brought up that question of sustainability within the within the craft movement, because, you know, that's that's a big concern right now. And I think when we look back 100 years ago, and particularly from a global perspective, um, that we can see a lot of parallels with the contemporary craft movement, um, because, you know, one of the things about the ways that 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 beer spread around the world, and this is another kind of part, uh, element of the book that I'm really interested in, is, is how did beer become the national beverage of Japan or of Mexico or South Africa? You know, how did, um, you know, these, these traditional beverages get displaced um, by, you know, um, pale European lager? And one of the, the, the key elements, I think, uh, was the fact that a lot of European brewers or, you know, North American brewers for that matter, um, their, their workplace was changing, okay? Um, you know, that industrialization was happening and that older kind of, of, of craft, uh, and it was called craft, right? You know, I mean, we're talking about artisanal production, you know, was becoming mechanized and, and people were losing that kind of independent, uh, um, you know, workplace spirit. And they didn't want that. I mean, they, they absolutely wanted to be their own boss. And so a lot of these brewers picked up stakes and they moved somewhere else where they could found their own brewery. Does this sound familiar? Um, that, you know, that, uh, that, that industrialization really created a, 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 an army of surplus labor, which, you know, kind of created this, this beer industry around the world, you know, carrying their yeast and their, um, you know, their skills uh, with them to establish new breweries in, in new lands. For me, you know, that's that's a lot like what is driving the craft beer movement because, you know, I mean, let's face it, for a lot of people in that craft beer industry, you know, they're not actually making good wages. They're, you know, it's it's a kind of a um, doing the best they can to either learn the trade or kind of to support a community. And these are very important things, but, you know, it depends on customers who are willing to pay more for that, uh, um, you know, for, for, for the, the, uh, the, the experience, for the, that sense that they're drinking a better beer as a result of drinking this craft beer, right? Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, people who are uh, trying to, you know, become organic farmers, right? You know, who maybe aren't, don't grow up in a farming family, but just, you know, that appeal comes to them. But when you realize, you know, what's involved in, um, you know, in starting a business, oftentimes a very precarious business, whether it's, you know, kind of as a, as a, as a farmer, as a, as a brewer, whatever, the enormous amount of work that's involved and, and the very, you know, meager, uh, you know, financial rewards that people get from this, right? You know, are they going to be able to make these businesses last? And, you know, for a lot of it, it's, you know, it's kind of building up and uh, um, 
becoming the kind of capitalist, you know, enterprises that they, you know, that 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 the whole movement, you know, this kind of communitarian craft beer movement was created in opposition against, right? And you know, we can think about, you know, those those brewers who have sold out, right? You know, and uh, and and in fact, I mean, how many of these these brewers are now adopting, you know, that tech model of you know, not, you know, trying to create a small business that's going to support a community of drinkers around them, but of creating a brand that they can then sell to InBev and, and you know, kind of like the, the, you know, the killer app that programmers are feverishly trying to write. And, and so I think we need to, you know, kind of have a very clear sense of, you know, kind of what you know, the movements about of, you know, kind of the what how labor works within this movement, uh, you know, kind of what our relations are and, and not, you know, get too sort of uh, romantic about this because, you know, that that, you know, if, if, if we really understand this and, and particularly in this kind of historical perspective, I think that that it's going to be uh, crucial for um, building a sustainable movement. I mean, we're, we're in a golden age of beer right now, you know, and we have been. Um, but, you know, I mean, our, our shocks like the pandemic, you know, what's that going to happen? I mean, when it first happened, my God, you know, all these craft brewers who are just, you know, had these kegs they couldn't sell, we're dumping them down the, the drain. I mean, you know, wondering, you know, are we ever going to come out of this? And in fact, you know, people have, uh, um, I think, adapted. And, and and I think the industry, you know, it's been through, the craft's been through a couple of shakeouts now over the, you know, 30, 40 years that, it, that it's been around. I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, it, it it's it's seems to be, I mean, I, I, I'd be interested in your own perspective on this. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think that, that, you know, that, 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 that the, the movement, uh, you know, can, can, can recover and, and, and continue. It's mature as an industry, I think. But, you know, each individual brewery is, you know, as precarious as a mom and pop shop, in, in many cases, at least. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's important to kind of think about, you know, where are we going with this? Absolutely. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned, you know, the idea of craft breweries is like that mom and pop shop serving the local community. And, and I feel like a lot of that is used, at least in our experience, you know, a lot of that is used, well, as of late, it's been used a lot, you know, buy local, support local, you know, that's your local craft brewery and things to that effect. Um, but definitely used in a lot of like marketing verbiage, obviously, to, you're doing it to build sales, right? They, they have to do something to stick around. Um, so I guess, you know, we're seeing in the craft beer industry, it's like, where's that healthy medium where you're still community focused but at the same time you're still profitable because like you said you know the the financial rewards for a lot of uh craft brewing are you know modest um and even when we're talking to other brewers that we know you know it's, no one's no one's bragging about the the billions of dollars they're making brewing craft beer so uh, it's definitely a bit of a labor of love but you obviously have to keep the lights on and i feel like the pandemic has sort of i don't know highlighted that a little bit because the local craft brewery that you know and love which thrives off of foot traffic uh, had to change up their model like a lot of them we saw at the beginning of the pandemic switched to home delivery which was almost unseen in craft beer um but you know you got to find those ways to, to adapt and keep going so who knows what you know it's going to be like going forward for sure and how sustainable that might be yeah but i mean um as long as people are willing to, you know, feel that they're getting something more out of it than they would get, you know, drinking a Budweiser or, you know, sure. a Molson, 
then you know I think there's a future there. But uh, I think we all need to uh, um, you know be very realistic about what's going on, or maybe uh, understand you know the ways that our our romanticizing this world work. And and I think that that historical perspective you know hopefully will perhaps help a little bit in in you know kind of moving this conversation forward. And I think the biggest thing we need to do, you know, is, is to get more people involved in the movement. And that's where, you know, involving women, uh, making, uh, you know, visible minorities feel welcome in these things. And so it's not just, you know, kind of a, a white male hipster kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, you know, getting people of, you know, just all different backgrounds uh, to 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 feel welcome to feel like they're getting something out of craft beer uh, is is the future of the industry. Touching on that, I think that's making it more accessible and open to everyone is a is an interesting point. And, and I read um, I read a little piece online of it, it's I believe it's your proposal for your your book, Jeffrey. So um, we tracked it down. And you talked about um, you talked about beer in India, and it's having a bit of a complicated history um, in terms of beer having this colonial image um, in in the nation of India. Obviously, being a colonial import during um, the British during British colonization. So, do you still see that? I mean, craft beer is a different it's a different breed, isn't it? Like it does have a lot more of a, of a sense of equality and openness and in terms of, of just the culture surrounding it. But do you still see like globally is beer still, does it still have a bad, is it still a bad brand in terms of being Eurocentric and Euro dominating and ties to colonization. I, I don't think it is. I mean, because one of the, the, the amazing things about uh, all kinds of, you know, kind of culture, but, uh, but, but beer certainly, is that it becomes localized and it, it loses that association, right? And so certainly a hundred years ago, uh, much of the, 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 the appeal of beer was that it was modern and cosmopolitan and European. You know, but over time, you know, those brands become, you know, nationalized and, and they become transformed as well. Right. And, and I mean, Japanese beer is a classic example. Right. Where, you know, they, they were trying to brew this because, you know, this was kind of the way that Japan could avoid being colonized. Right. That they adopt the, the culture and technology of Europeans and they could become, an, you know, sort of avoid that imperial fate that had befallen other Asian nations. Um, and, uh, and yet over time, the Japanese, uh, um, you know, made beer their own. And in fact, I mean, you know, they've, they've, uh, they've done, uh, you know, some of the major innovations in, in, you know, in, in modern brewing technology, right? And so the, the cylindro-conical uh, um, uh, fermentation tanks, you know, some of those innovations were created in Japan. Um, microfiltration uh, was originally a product of Japan. Um, dry beer, which not everybody is a big fan of, but, you know, I mean, the, the, these kinds of technological changes, uh, which were done um, precisely to sort of uh, fit a Japanese taste profile for beer, you know, to make it more Japanese, have since been adopted very widely. Um, and, you know, we could, we could look at, at other examples of that 
um, as well of, of, of the ways that beers have become nationalized, become accepted locally. And so, you know, I, I, I think that that modern element uh, uh, of beer is, is still there in, in, in many cases. Um, but, you know, I mean, in a, in a way, you know, we're, we're kind of in a postmodern uh, moment ourselves, you know, where we're trying to go back to, you know, these, these older uh, styles uh, of beer, you know, the lambics or the, the quarters or, you know, whatever. And, and so I, I think that, that uh, uh, there's always this kind of historical dynamic, you know, kind of a back and forth constantly, you know, sort of reinventing um, the future and the past. And, and, uh, and, and, and so, you know, I, I, I don't believe uh, that it's uh, an entirely negative thing. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, craft beer, you know, kind of has its own appeal for, for many people. And I mean, you know, it, it's, it certainly has taken off in, in many, many countries around the world. Uh, I mean, you know, if you sort of look at the map of, of where craft beer is going, it's, it's far beyond, you know, Europe and its, its, its settler colonies. It's, it's really become a, a global phenomenon. Uh, but, you know, kind of within each country, it has its own kind of issues. And so that's where I think, you know, we all, you know, when we're sort of thinking about the, the future of beer, uh, we have to to bring it back home and make it local and see about, you know, kind of what our, you know, examine our own, you know, drinking cultures, what it, how, how it is that we, we drink and, and, and what it is that we're, we're really looking for in a beer. Jeffrey, this might be sort of a part B in, in Andy's question, because you mentioned earlier the golden era of beer. That's where we're in right now and social status. And I find that quite interesting. When you look back in your research and your studies, I, I feel like now versus 100 or 200 years ago, we're not in the same place with beer as we were. But I feel with alcohol as a whole, there seems to be a social status mixed in. If you're a wine drinker or if you're a scotch or whiskey drinker or if you're a beer drinker, I'm interested to know in your research and throughout the world, because I do firmly believe that what resonates in the past echoes into the future and and cultures might follow that do you see beer as a social status of some kind it could be like a worker's man beer 100 or 200 years ago versus scotch or whiskey or wine do you see an elevation in in those well all right so you know there's there's a lot going on there and um you know, each individual society kind of has its own, uh, you know, kind of associations. And so we could talk about Britain and it might be, you know, completely different from, you know, uh, some other society, um, you know, but, but oftentimes uh, wine has acquired a, a kind of a cachet, um, you know, and, and beer is sort of seen as being somehow lower than wine on whatever kind of social scale we're looking at. Um, uh, and, you know, I mean, partly it was uh, uh, simply, you know, if we think about, you know, 3000 years ago in, in you know, the ancient Near East, um, you know, you could produce a lot more beer than you could wine, right? You know, that the grapes had to grow in very distinctive uh, areas. It was, it was much easier to grow grain that could be fermented. And so, you know, there was this sort of the, the, the social distinction was a product of how much could be made and, and you know, sort of those, those kinds of, um, you know, could it be traded over long distances, right? And, uh, and, and so, you know, 
social status is always this kind of logic, you know, it's like, how can I get something that other people can't, right? And, um, and so, uh, you know, for, for a long time, uh, uh, distilled beverages, uh, whiskey, you know, was uh, considered to be a kind of a, a lower class thing where, you know, if you, it was the cheapest way to get drunk. And if, you know, if you're just out there to get, but, you know, over time, you know, and certainly with improvements in the technology of distilling, it became possible to make a more refined, you know, Scotch whiskey or bourbon or whatever. And then those 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 kinds of uh, things acquire their own um, uh, cachet and, and become, you know, high status. And so there's constant jockeying back and forth between them. Um, and, you know, I mean, uh, even, even um, beer, right, you know, so uh, when um, lager was being something, you know, that's only produced in a few places like um, uh, uh, Munich or Pilsen or the, you know, these other areas, and, you know, these, these uh, um, top fermented ales that might not be as clear and, and, and smooth, here, uh, you know, were what you could drink in your ordinary pub, uh, then, you know, that exotic import, you know, from the town of Pilsen or from the town of, of Munich uh, was suddenly, you know, desirable and, and, and the thing that, you know, all of the people, the, the wealthy people drank. Uh, once it becomes widely available and, you know, it's, it's mass produced, uh, then it kind of, there's this logic pushing it down. Uh, lowering the social status attached to it. And so it's precisely, you know, this kind of recovery of kind of a sense of craft uh, that, uh, that, that, that brings, you know, that, that, that you know, makes craft beer um, a more desirable product, you know, and, and, you know, Bud Light or whatever, then, you know, it, its status goes down. And so, I mean, you know, these kinds of, these, these changes are happening uh, constantly. Um, you know, and even, you know, in, 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 in other societies, uh, you know, once everybody is drinking, uh, um, you know, the, the Mexican equivalent of, of Budweiser or Molson, say, um, uh, Corona, once, you know, once the working classes can drink Corona, then the hip young guys, the, 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 the hipsters, as they call themselves, um, in Mexico, have to drink pulque, right, which was the indigenous fermented beverage that nobody would be caught dead of any social status drinking 100 years earlier. Um, but, you know, that becomes the sought after exclusive drink. Um, and so there's just this constant, you know, reinvention of, of social status. Um, and I think that's going to just continue. I mean, you can just be sure that whatever, you know, you know, uh, it, it starts out as new and, and, and exciting, uh, and then gradually it sort of spreads out to the wider society, it goes down, and then whatever it is, you know, the, the people who are in the know, the trend spotters have to go to the opposite side, and, and so that these constant, you know, and I mean, that's just, you know, the kind of the cycles of, of consumer society that we live in. Right? You know, that, that, you know, fashion creates its own status. And, um, and, and uh, so, you know, um, I, I, I think that, that, that drinks like clothes, like, you know, entertainment, like, you know, so many other aspects of our life, um, you know, kind of uh, follow this logic. I mean, it's not, we're not trapped by it. You know, we can all choose what we're going to drink. Uh, going to where, going to do whatever. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think we have to, to do it with an awareness of, you know, these consumer societies that we live in 
and the capitalist relations that 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 shape them. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's uh, it's it's important for us to think about, you know, why is it uh, that we are drinking what we are, and what do we get out of it? Very well said. Yeah, that's a beautiful answer. Yeah, um, I want to touch on. We've been dancing around this a lot, particularly loggers, because I think you have a particular focus. I can see that you have a particular focus in your upcoming book pertaining to loggers. And we touch on this a lot in our tours and just how the, by and large, the 20th century global beer market was dominated and still is. I mean, up, up until now, the 21st century as well, is just dominated by loggers. And like, there are, I know there are a lot of economic reasons as to why this is. And a lot of it pertain to what you mentioned being uh, industrialization, just that being a, a method of easily facilitating this, this, this style of beer instead of ales. But just would love to know your take on, on just why, like if you think of all the global beers today of, of, of enormous stature, I mean, safe, safe to say, like maybe an exception would be Guinness, but you think of the, the macro giants like Corona or Heineken or here in Canada, Molson Labatt's, U.S. Budweiser, Coors, I mean, in China, Qingdao, in, in Japan, uh, Saboro, I mean, the lager just dominated. And like a reason that I touch on, like a lot of it is to do with German brewers going um, across the globe and setting up shop, particularly in places in here in North America. I mean, um, all the big German brewers, the macro guys in the U.S., they're all good German names. But maybe if you can touch on this, just just expand on this, like why? Why did the ale get thwarted in the 20th and 21st century in the global beer market to the lager? Well, you know, this is a debate that has been going on for more than 100 years, that, that brewing professionals <laughs> back around the turn of the century, around the turn of the 19th to 20th century, were asking themselves that same question, you know? And um, some of them said, you know, we're just... Uh, we're we're we we're, we're we're doing things cheaply, you know. We're just trying to save some money, and what we need to do is we need to educate the public and show them why, you know, these these full-bodied, full-flavored beers, uh, you know, are just they're, they're so much better, and we don't want to, you know. And and other beer brewers were saying, look, you know, our consumers don't buy, you know, this this pale lager because they're they're idiots or because you know they're. They, they, they do it because they like it, you know, it's drinkable. That's what they want to drink. And, and so, you know, to kind of, to sort of say what is driving consumer society, you know, I mean, this is, this is one that, you know, people have been debating for a very long time. And, you know, I mean, you know, are we dupes of, of big business, you know, or is this what, you know, it's, it's, it, uh, you know, the, the, I, I don't feel like I have a great deal to add um, to that debate over, you know, kind of what people have been talking about since before the days of Karl Marx. So just put that out there as a, as a, as a kind of a, um, a, 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 a statement. But then the other side to this, and here's where I think, you know, kind of looking at the history of, of beer um, uh, carefully, is that, you know, ale was becoming lager at that same period, right? So the British ales that were really selling were um, what were called running ales, which is to say 
you know, light sparkling and, you know, done with top fermentation. So technically ale, but, you know, resembling a, a lager beer. I mean, think about that, that, that glorious German beer Kolsch. I mean, it, what is that if not, you know, uh, an ale that wants to be a lager, right? And, um, and, and so, and in fact, a lot of people were doing that precisely because, you know, they could with improved, you know, technologies of attemperation and other things without the added expense of, you know, buying refrigeration and all these other kinds of things, you know. So if you can brew in an environment, uh, you can brew an ale and, and, and one that's, you know, I mean, it, it, it is going to be more full flavor if that's what you're looking for, right? I mean, that's the whole point of, 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 of why people, you know, some people really like those ales is right. You know, it's, 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 it's got, you know, more flavor uh, than, than many, many lagers do. Um, and so, you know, those, those, there was kind of convergence that all beers were sort of headed in the same direction. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, they didn't all arrive at the same place, but, but there was this kind of movement and it was really as much just about, you know, technological mastery was removing many of those strong flavors from beer, right? You know, that a lot of the things that we now prize, um, you know, like the, the strong tastes of, of Brett uh, or, you know, kinds of other, other kinds of things uh, were, you know, from a brewing professional's perspective, you know, flaws. And I got to tell you, I mean, I've talked to many people, you know, sort of who, who look at the craft beer movement and say, you know, a lot of people drink this stuff, but it's actually bad beer. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to name Whoa. Whoa. Not, <laughs> But, you know, I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and I mean, this is actually something that Michael Jackson, you know, the great uh, beer journalist kind of said was, you know, I mean, what is it we're trying to do here? Are we trying to take flavor out? Like the brewing professionals, you know, are trying to remove imperfections. Or are we trying to put flavor in, right? And I mean, that's a debate within, you know, brewers. And, you know, you talk to different brewers and they'll come up with different answers, right? And, uh, you know, and the whole thing about style is trying to say, okay, you know, kind of what's the range that we're trying to work within? Um, and actually, to me, you know, these kind of debates are what makes beer so interesting. Right, you know, is that you know you can kind of have different opinions, um, and and you can you know find a product that you know whatever your taste may be, you know you will you know find something that 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 satisfies it. Uh, so you know, I think that 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 these you know, and these are very complicated questions. I don't think there is any one right answer, um, and uh, you know, I think that that that's. Uh, you know, one of the, 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 the cool things about, about beer. I, I think something interesting you, you touch on too, and Garrett and I, and Nick, we were talking about this and we don't really, I'm going to sound like an idiot because I don't really understand it to its fullest extent is, and maybe you guys, I cut out for a bit. So I'm sorry if you guys already spoke about this, but was the um, like the sociology of, of taste. Did you guys talk about this already? Garrett, did I? Am I, no, no, right. am I tripping over my own feet? No, All right. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, I was reading a little excerpt about that, just how, like, I think it was China, like when, when beer started really coming to Chinese markets, uh, the, the interpretation was that beer was very boring. It was very bland. I believe the term was it tasted like 
horse piss, I believe. So, and then you sort of, you, you want to delve into, like, I guess this is part of food history that, that I'm not privy to, but the concept of like, could you expand? I, I'm tripping over myself because I don't even know what I'm saying, but like the, the sociology of taste and how that pertains to different culture and maybe it's it's very complicated. First of all, it's not just what's on your tongue, right? It's a full, you know, multi-sensory thing that's obviously smell is very important to it, but sight, uh, um, touch, right? I mean, think about the mouthfeel, right? The importance of carbonation and all these other kinds of things, you know, when drinking beer, um, you know, and, and even the sound, I mean, you know, kind of that pop of a, you know, of a beer bottle, it just kind of, there's, it, 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 it sort of, builds anticipation right so so it's multi-sensory but here's the thing about taste is that it is filtered through the brain okay and um and and it's it's our 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 taste memory is a very powerful um uh, thing um because it really determines for us whether something is good to eat or you know possibly poison Right. And so, you know, the foods that we eat, uh, especially, you know, foods that we grow up with, right? Comfort food, as it's called, right? You know, something that is, you know, we've, we've, we've come to sort of think about as, as food, right? You know, um, is, is, is things that are familiar. And so, you know, when we encounter something new, there's always this kind of, you know, sort of um, moment where we have to die, decide, is that, do we want to eat this or don't we? You know, and, and um, you know, is this going to poison us or is it going to be good, right? And, and, and so many of our, of our cultural stereotypes, you know, uh, of, of, of foreign people revolve around food. And, um, you know, so it's, it, it becomes a way of saying, you know, is it edible? And is that person edible? In other words, is that somebody who is, you know, is a good person or a bad person? And if, mm -hmm. if, if you know, kind of they're associated with, with foods that we do not consider to be edible, and then, you know, they're, they're not really human, right? And so, you know, that obviously, you know, horse piss, if, 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 if you know, uh, these, these Asian people thought that Western beer was horse piss, then, you know, Westerners must be complete barbarians if that's what they drink. Right. And so there is very much a cultural dimension, a learned dimension uh, uh, to that. But of course, you know, we can change it. Right. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of people, you know, acquire taste over their lives, whether it's coffee or beer or, you know, distilled spirits or or, you know, Brussels sprouts, whatever it is. Right. You know, things that as, as children, we do not find appealing. And then, you know, at some point we start to to like and and so you know taste has this very complicated uh um dimension and for me what's really interesting is the ways that we um uh communicate it with others right um because and especially you know if we're learning to taste what exactly does that mean okay you know, I mean, on at one level, you know, do we like it? But even do we like it? What does that mean? I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, beyond, you know, is it really sweet? Is it, you know, sour? Whatever it is, 
you know, is that we have to find, we have to develop some language to either talk to other people about beer or to even to explain it to ourselves, right? And so, you know, when you do a beer tasting, you know, you have to have some way of saying, all right, now, gosh, what, you know, all of these flavors that are, you know, floating around in my nose or on my tongue or whatever, what is it that I'm exactly tasting, right? You know, we have to develop some kind of analytical tool, right? Mm -hmm. In order to to make sense of these things, right? You know, so there's this the bitterness of the hops. There's maybe sweetness on of, from the malt. There's you know the sort of the the, the sparkliness of carbonation. You know, there's all these elements, right? Then there's the you know the aromas that come off of it, right? And and so you know to appreciate uh, a beer, to appreciate really anything, you know, we have to some kind of uh, find some way of, 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 of nailing down what it is, right? Um, and, and, and I think that that, you know, developing that language, uh, you know, whether it's the first time you drink a beer or, you know, if, if you're uh, just, you know, sort of encountering a new beer uh, is an important part of, you know, uh, developing a, 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 a taste for it, a liking for it, you know, and, and, and that's something that we do, you know, as communities, as, as you know, we, we share these kinds of things. Um, and, you know, I mean, we may not really talk about it all that much, um, you know, it may not be all that reflective, but I think that, that, that taste is, is critically important. And, and for a long time, you know, taste in beer was, you know, kind of dominated by the brewers and, and their goal was to, to find a way of eliminating, right, you know, to sort of scientifically say, okay, this is, this is a, a flaw in the brewing process that's brought about because, you know, some kind of, you know, contamination in the beer or, uh, you know, um, the, the tanks were dirty or the wild yeast got into it or whatever, right? Um, and I've actually written an article about this and I don't know, I can, I can, I can send it to you guys. Uh, uh, maybe you can put on a website somewhere or something that, 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 that people can read about yes. where I talk about, you know, how um, the craft beer movement and, and people like, you know, uh, journalists like Michael Jackson, um, you know, tried to create a language as a way of building up you know, an appreciation uh, for for craft beer, um, and and you know the ways in which um, you know that and and that it continues to develop among you know like the 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 beer tasters. You know, there's a whole kind of movement of websites. You know, where people rate beers and and you know kind of provide reviews and whatnot. And and you know the ways in which. Um, they are, in a sense, you know, involved in this kind of communication and, in, 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 you know, sort of, and, and, and I think in some ways uh, shaping the, the beer movement. And, and, and I, I think that's, that's a good thing. And so, you know, I think, I think that, uh, that we really have to, to take taste seriously uh, when we're going to, you know, really understand uh, these, these things or just even really to, to enjoy, you know, I mean, you know, if, if, if we think about what it is that we're drinking, I mean, if we're not just, you know, kind of slamming it back to get drunk, then I think we're, we're going to, to have a better uh, experience of, 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 our, of our beer, so. That's a great point. I actually would love to see that article because that's definitely, it's like a huge part of what yeah. we do in our events um, is it's sort of an analysis of taste, right? We go through some, some basic, you know, uh, elements of it you know we look at the appearance the smell the flavor uh mouthfeel after things like this and really the object of the exercise is not necessarily just to be uh 
you know, to, to observe it and, and that's it, but it's really to describe it and, and, you know, sort of creating this universal language of how we can describe it and how we can get others to understand what we're experiencing. Uh, so I, I love that you mentioned that because that's sort of, that's really what we try and do. And, you know, like you mentioned, there's a lot of those websites that are, you know, there's untapped and people can rate beers and whatnot, but sometimes, you know, it doesn't get as far as it, it tastes like beer, um, which is, you know, it's totally fine. That's a way to describe beer and we're okay with that. But if you, you know, we like the, the aspect that, you know, if you do want to get into it, you do want to dive a little bit deeper, you know, how can you do that? Um, so yeah, I'd love to see that article on, on that. I think that yeah, would I will absolutely uh, forward you the link. It's online uh, and I actually love to hear uh, more about it. And I'd actually love to, you know, if we ever get out of this lockdown, which maybe, maybe. It's coming. Uh, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> come over on this side. We're kind of out of it now. Yeah, yeah next <laughs> and come back, yeah. Oh, you guys. Lucky. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, and that's the thing, you know, what is it about Ontario that it's always like in, in at least in craft beer so far behind Quebec? I, I just, I, there, there's, there's, there's research to be done there. I don't know, politics, politics, but anyway, um, but yeah, I, I would love to, uh, to get together for one of these, these tours sometime and just, you know, kind of tag along and see what happens. So. They would love to have you. Yeah, we'd love to have you, Jeff course can i maybe i know we're approaching the one hour mark jeffrey maybe could you tell us a little bit about your perhaps some of your favorite spots in toronto for uh, you know I, I really i you know i have uh some places but i i don't really like to you know kind okay. of you know because I, I feel like uh gosh you know i just i mean i i could i could give you names of places but it would be, I don't know, somehow, you know, I, I think that you really, I mean, everybody should find their own, you know, and, and I'd be happy to, you know, talk to you about, you know, just kind of personally, <laughs> but off the record and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, I just, uh, uh, you know, I prefer not to, you know, kind of like, you know, because I just, I, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I just I feel you're like, being diplomatic. <laughs> diplomatic. That's it. I, I, yeah. I would like to be diplomatic about it, but uh, yeah, sometimes we can definitely over beer talk about some some good beers that we've all had, and and uh, um, yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you have? Can I be annoying and ask? Do you have a, a particular favorite style of beer, Jeffrey? Um, you know, actually, I have to say that I've I've gone through a a, a lot of them, and um, and I've really. Um, you know, come to, it's amazing, you know, when I think about, you know, kind of what I drank for the first however many years, uh, just how many wonderful beer styles there are, and, um, you know, and things that, that uh, were, you know, I mean, like, practically on the point of being forgotten, you know, and so, um, uh, you know, all of these things like, well, I mean, the, the, the Belgians, I, I spent some time doing research in Belgium. And, and I mean, obviously, you know, that it's just like this kind of this, this beer museum. Um, but then, you know, uh, um, you know, a lot of sours, I actually, I'm, I'm kind of really digging sour beers and, and, you know, just all of these little local styles that, you know, I mean, really not even sure that they're necessary. I mean, they're, they're being reinvented in, in interesting ways. And so, you know, things like, you know, gauze or jupa or all of these other kinds of, of things, um, you know, the, uh, uh, 
people are, I mean, you know, there's a, there's an appeal, this kind of nostalgic appeal that I'm drinking something people hundreds of years ago were drinking and, you know, probably not, honestly, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, that, 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 that experimentation is in itself a really, you know, kind of cool thing. And, and the idea that, you know, let's see what happens in it. Like, nope, that didn't work. But, you know, I mean, you know, keep trying. Uh, and uh, um, I, I think it can go too far and go way too far. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of good things can come out of that too. And, and so, um, you know, and actually I got to say also that, you know, so, and here's where that kind of localization is, is really kind of cool because, you know, taking a beer style and then, you know, moving it halfway around the world and seeing what, you know, a brewer in, you know, say Malaysia or Brazil or, you know, kind of, who just, you know, kind of has, and particularly, you know, with like sour beers, right? Because these are cultures where sour tastes are, you know, like, you know, sort of, it's, it's not just this one note, right? It's this whole spectrum of different kinds of, you know, things and, and, and the ways that, you know, these brewers from different backgrounds can kind of play with it is, is I think, uh, really, really quite remarkable. So, um, you know, and, and, and I mean, you know, that, that happens because of, you know, these kind of global movements, so, you know, people moving around, uh, you know, whether migration or just tourism or whatever it is, and, and it's like, oh, you know, let's, let's try this. So, you know, I think that that's uh, um, uh, really, really cool, um, uh, you know, development uh, that's happening and, and that, that craft beer is really sort of encouraging. Well, I think we can definitely say if you ever need any assistance with any of your research, I think yes. the three of us would, would definitely well, well, thank like you. lend a hand. Like, you know, actually, I think scholars are John the whole pretty generous. And I've, you know, I've always been, you know, had, had people, but no one has ever turned me down. I said, you want to go do some research? <laughs> yeah, especially because I think, Jeffrey, you get to travel a bit for your research, too. Yeah, and actually, I got to tell you, though, so I made my last research trip, um, like I was coming back as as the pandemic was really starting to break open. I was I was in the, the Czech Republic and, um, and I, you know, I got on that plane and came back and it was just like, you know, in a couple of weeks, we were we were all just shut down as like, holy cow, you know, and 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 and, and for me, it's it's this kind of weird thing is that like, you know, because actually I did, you know, I did travel a lot. And, you know, I mean, when you just like you're home for 15 months or whatever it is, you know, and, and, and just like, um, my God, you know, I mean, <laughs> what, are, what are we, you know, what, what's, what's the world going to be like when we emerge from our caves, man, you know, I mean, yep. you know, will I ever get a haircut again? God <laughs> <laughs> knows I need, yeah, <laughs> me probably many others need, needs one. So Hoping on that those at least stay the same. When we I've already booked mine this week. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's about time. That's a reason to go to auto. I mean, to uh, I mean to to get to know to, yeah. to go back just just to get a haircut. But I'm I'm thinking <laughs> it's gonna be July. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Jeffrey, thank you so much for being on our podcast. I think we all learned a lot. Hope everyone listening did as well. Um, I guess your new book next year, probably. Do you have a do you have a title for it? Do you... um, so I've gone through different titles, and um, so originally it was just going to be how beer traveled the world, 
um, which is kind of a fun title, um, yeah. but uh, uh, you know, it's 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 it, it just kind of in flux. So I just have to wait and see what comes out. All right, great. Fair enough. You can you can check the maybe the U of T website. <laughs> yeah, one of the these days. I mean, it, you know, I just it's it's they they take a while, but this one's this one's really getting close. I think it's 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 ready to be done. I'm ready for it to be done. <laughs> I'm excited for it already. Yeah, we'll definitely. Based on our conversation today, it's, yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. Absolutely. Well, Jeffrey, right. thank you so much for your time and uh, stay safe and we hope to connect with you soon. Okay, you too. And and it's been a pleasure. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Thank you, sir. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thank you for listening as well. You can help my podcast grow by sharing my podcast with family and friends and subscribe on whichever platform from where you're listening. Also, check out my Instagram at BeerGotMeHere for beer photos and future beer reviews. For more information on Rolling Hops Beer Tours, their website and a link to all their media is in the episode description. We will see you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.